0: I want to jump into our message today. The message would be the third in our series that we've been working on uh, recently, and that is called Teach Us to Pray. The disciples of Jesus one day were talking and walking with him, and they said, Jesus, we want you to teach us how to pray like John's disciples pray. And so I find that pretty interesting that they wanted to know how to pray like John's disciples. I think they didn't have their eyes open enough. They should have said, teach us to pray like you pray, right? But they but they saw power and they saw activity, supernatural activity in the life of Jesus as well as in the life of John the Baptist and his disciples. And so they said, teach us how to pray. So today's our third message in this series. And I wanna read to you a passage of scripture. The verses will be on the screen. You can go there with us in your Bible if you'd like. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It is Matthew chapter six verses five through fifteen. It says this and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. Verse six But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Somebody say amen. Amen. Verse 9 says, pray then like this. This is still Jesus speaking. And he, he gives them this prayer, which is known as the Lord's Prayer or has been known as that for a long time. But really it's the disciples prayer. It's the prayer that we as disciples can pray. And it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 14. Says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The context of this passage is in a larger grouping of words that Jesus shared, and we have come to call it the Sermon on the Mount. It happens in chapter 6, but it starts in chapter 5 and finishes in chapter seven of Matthew that we were, we just read, and a repeated phrase that occurs in that scripture passage that we just read is this: "When you pray." See, Jesus' expectation for his followers was not if you pray, but when you pray. So we've got to understand that all who believe in God and accept his son, Jesus Christ, as their savior, they will be praying. And Jesus was trying to coach them in how to do that with some regularity. Christians should pray for more than just their meals. Can I get an amen? Right? True believers in God should pray for more than just their meals or for safety on their travels or to bless this home and that sort of stuff. True believers who are maturing in their faith should have some regularity in their conversation with God. And that's really what we're talking about today. Because when we have regularity in that In our prayer life, what we're doing is we're intentionally developing our relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship here on earth that seems just transactional. You just communicate, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, what's new? Hey, what's new? And you just, and some, sometimes even marriages can be like that, where it's just, you just kind of talking about what you got going on and what's going to happen. And the intimacy is missing because communication is lacking. So if you feel far from God, one of the things that you can start doing is praying. Amen. So last week, I shared with you six elements of prayer, and if you missed that message, you can catch up by going online and listening to it, because those are necessities when we pray. Today, the title of my message is this, When, Not If. So it shows up three times in this passage when Jesus is discussing with those who are listening, and he says, when you pray, dot, dot, dot. So we're going to cover those three phrases, and then I'm going to give you some practical insights into prayer. How many of you have ever had a, what we would call a dry time in prayer? Can I see your hands? You just kind of prayed a prayer because you knew you should or knew somebody needed one. And it, you, there's not a whole lot of feeling behind it, but you did it. Here's the thing you should keep on doing that because you're not going to feel goosebumps every time you pray. This is important. Because if we're expecting, that's like my marriage. I watched enough romantic comedies to believe that everything was going to be amazing. And when she walks in the room, no matter what time of day or night, her eyes are going to sparkle and mine too. And there's plenty of money in the bank. And there's always dinner and a clean house and wonderful behaving children. Oh, wait. Wait. It's not always like that. For those of you that are getting married sometime soon, you should know it's not always like that, but we keep working at it. Amen. We, we do it on the days we don't want to, we smile, we talk, we try to connect because we're doing something that is discipline oriented. So it's when you pray, not if. So listen to this first one in verse five. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, if I asked you, I'm pretty sure most of you would be able to define what a hypocrite is. But let me just explain it to you. A hypocrite, as we understand it from scripture and history, is a two-faced person. That's really what that word hypocrite coming from the Greek means. It was talking about in those days when it originated, it was talking about an actor who stepped behind the stage and would put on a mask or makeup, a different costume and walk out. It wasn't their authentic self. It was the character they were playing. Jesus is using this idea when he shares with them about how they should pray. He says, when you do, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, there's something significant there because I really believe that you should pray authentically and be yourself when you pray. Have you ever known someone and you heard them pray and you thought, who is that? Hello? Right. There's some laughter and giggles because you've met somebody like that. They're just, Hey, I'm normal Joe Schmo. And then, Oh, heavenly father, you know, and you're like, Whoa, where did that come from? He never talks like be authentic. When you pray, don't put on a show. Don't you think God knows better? This is what Jesus is communicating to them. You don't have to come in and do a song and a dance. You come in authentically as yourself to pray and to seek God. Because when you pray, you want to expose who you are to God so he can change and help and fix and do what you're asking him to do. So the second phrase of when you pray shows up in verse six. Says when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now the idea here is that Jesus is not trying to eliminate public prayer. Some of you might be like, oh, thank God. He said, I only have to do it at home behind a shut door. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is communicating that if you want to spend an intimate time together. Here, let me give you another relational um, paradox or paradigm, rather, that you could see. If I want to get to know my wife better and invest in my relationship, I go on a date with her. I don't go on a double date Hello? The person who hasn't had a double date said, right? Okay. All right. Oh, have you had a double date? (laughs) Take that from the record. All right. But here's the deal. If I want to build my relationship with my wife, I want it to be her and I. I want it to be just the two of us together, not a double date where we're trying to, you know, like hang out and have friends and I'm talking to him and she's talking to her and that kind of thing because that's not building true intimacy. That's fun and I like it. But when you pray, Jesus is emphasizing private prayer. When you pray, you should prioritize this In your life, a real Christian, a true Christian is one who prioritizes private prayer or personal prayer. I thought as I drove home this morning, I get to the church early in the mornings on Sunday mornings, some much earlier than others. But today I drove home and as I was driving home to get ready to come back, I passed several people who were dressed nice in their cars and I knew that they were heading to church. And I thought, yeah, it seems like millions of southern or southeastern Americans are headed to church this morning. But then the thought occurred to me, how many of them are authentic believers who have prioritized private prayer? Now, I wasn't judging them as I drove past, but the thought occurred to me, I wonder how many of them have the, the depth of a relationship with the God of all creation that we should have, And we've got to get that, and one of the ways to get that is through private prayer. So Jesus wasn't saying, don't pray publicly. He was just saying, when you're trying to get alone with me, go in and shut out all the distractions. Here's the third when you pray. It shows up in verse 7. When you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. That's what he says. Don't be like the Gentiles. They think that they will be heard for their many words, but don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So some people don't know what a Gentile is, and I'll refresh your memory. A Gentile in Jesus' day would be someone who is considered a non-Jew or a non-covenant person, someone who had not entered into a relationship with the God of the Jews. And so Jesus is saying, don't act like them, act like you're God's kids. Don't don't have all the fluff and babble on and on when you pray. Get to the point. And I like this point. Because I like to get to the point a lot of times. Sometimes I like to go on and on. But I like to get to the point. And I like that God wants you and I to not babble on and on and have all the fluff. He wants to know what's on your heart. And even more significant than that, he actually wants you to take a moment to hear what's on his heart. That's what prayer is supposed to be. It's a two-way street, two-way communication. I love that in the end of that verse, it says, for your father knows what you need before you ask it. Many people go, well then, hey, I'm off the hook. I don't have to pray then. He knows what I need. No, he wants to hear it. He wants to hear it from you. Just this week, I was... Coming in late from work and going through the motions of putting kids to bed and trying to wrap up dinner and all that kind of stuff with my wife. And um, I went into one of my daughter's rooms and uh, as we were talking, we talked for a minute. Then we prayed together and then she was going to read for a few more minutes before the lights went out. Well, I was getting off the bed and going to touch the button for her light when she said, hey, daddy, can you please turn? And I looked at her and I said, baby, I know what you need before you even asked it. Because I knew that she was going to read. That's a simple illustration of what your heavenly father goes through with you. He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. And by God, he wants you to ask according to his will for your life. So that you, when you pray, you're building a connection. See, trust is formed when answered prayer happens because you come to believe even on a deeper level that God is indeed who he says he is and does what he promises. So we've got to know when we pray that we shouldn't just babble on and on. We should get to the point. I'll say this in addition. It's okay for you to have childlike faith and that's what you should have. Just a crazy belief that it's possible. My daughters still talk about unicorns as if they exist sometimes. They've never seen one. They don't I mean they've got pictures of, you know, people putting things together but they're not real, but they still they have this childlike thought process. Now, when it comes to prayer, it's okay to have childlike faith. But if you're a believer for more than a month, you aren't supposed to have childlike prayers. Did you catch that? That you're to have childlike faith, but true praying that comes from the heart of a mature believer is more than just bless this day and help it to be great and help me to have a good attitude. Amen. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's praying specifically and going through some things in your, in your mind that you know you want to talk to him about. Verse 9 says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It means holy. It means set apart. It means the name above every other name. This is you taking a model of prayer and applying it to your own private life this week in your prayer time. Even though the Bible says I can come boldly into his presence, oftentimes I come in with that thought of, God, you're so good to me. You've done so much for me. God, you're so awesome in my life. You've healed and helped and fixed and mended. God, I love who you are. Lord, I need your help with this. And then I go into the other aspect because we want to set time aside where we honor who he is and admire who he is. Verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The truth is, when I ask God to do what I want, he often waits. When I ask God to do what he wants, he always works. This is who he is. So you've got to understand that as we pray, we are to be praying that his will be done. If you recall the words of Jesus in the prayer that he prayed the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, We hear about it during the Easter time and we talk about that moment. He says these words, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus as a human had to pray this way and to submit himself to the Father's will. Because if there's any other way to go around this, I'll take it. If not, then do it. I'm yours, I'm all yours, 100%. And that should be the thought that we have when we pray. The only way to pray God's will is to know God's word. That's why I'll preach every Sunday and share something almost every Sunday about if you are a Christian and a believer, not just a, you know, Sunday church goer, but a true believer, then you are a person who is in the Word of God. If you want to know what God's will is, read all the stuff He's already written. He wants to speak today to you, to your individual situation, and he will if given the chance to. But he sure wants you to consult his actions in the past towards others so that your faith is built as you pray now in the moment that you're facing. If I am praying, I gave the joke last week about praying to win the lottery. Don't do that, okay? Don't play the lottery because gambling is not good stewardship. Okay, But here's the idea, if I am praying and I'm saying, Lord, restore this relationship between my brother and my parents, Lord, which is a a real prayer that I pray, can I see in God's word that he restores relationships? Nod your head like this. If you're alive, go like this. Yes, I can. If I'm praying for someone like we did last weekend for Katie's father, that God would touch him and heal him and be with him, can I see that he's healed from the beginning of our time all the way into my life today, presently and beyond, then I know I'm praying according to his will. If I'm praying for provision, and we've got some young people, they gave a prayer in youth group this, this last Wednesday that God would help them find a job. Can I see that provision for God's kids is in God's word? Yes, all throughout it. So yes, I'm going to pray that God gives that young person a good job, that pays, that teaches them good character and good qualities. I'm going to pray that way because I know it's God's will. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat, the Bible says. So I'm praying God's will, right? <clears throat> that might have been for somebody. Salvation <laughs> is in God's will. If I'm praying for someone who I've been praying for for 15 years, that God would save them, can I see throughout the history of God's word that God has saved and delivered people who finally turned around and came to him? Yes, yes. So I know that's God's will. Can I pray for healing physically, emotionally, mentally? All of those things. Can I pray for strength for today and for his grace to be on me to do what he's calling me to do? Yes, I can see those things in God's word. But the only way I know what God's will is in the here and now is if I've read what his will was back then and know what he wants me to do as I pray. So if you want to know whether or not your prayers are according to his will, you've got to get to know his word. Verse 11 tells us, it really just gives us the authorization to pray for provision. Now, there are some select places in scripture that talk about abundant provision, more than you could ask or think. There's a few of them. But there are many, many places in Scripture that talk about the provision that God wants to give his people to help them make it through. I praise God. Some of you don't know my story, but I'm telling you, I stand here today knowing that my God shall supply All of my needs, not all of my wants, but all of my needs according to his riches in glory. God has done amazing things. One version of the Bible actually translates this verse. Give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Because it's it's filled with hope as they're looking forward to tomorrow. Believing that God will provide, not just this day, but tomorrow as well. Look at what verse 12 says. It says, forgive us our debts. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> How many of you have a debt you want to be forgiven of? Come on, let me see those hands. Praise God. But that's not the end of the verse. As we forgive our debtors. oh. That's not the easy part. Verse 13 says, keep us from temptation and from evil. Some manuscripts finish the prayer by including the words, for yours is the kingdom. That's probably how you learned it as a kid. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, Jesus still teaching them about prayer continues and says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I do my best and I want you to trust me and hear my heart. I work hard to prepare a message for you every week. I truly do. I go through study after study. I look at scholarly works. I learn things. I increase my knowledge. I pray to the Holy Spirit to prepare my heart, to help me deliver the word to you. And I'm saying this to help you understand. I am trying to preach to you the gospel, the true message of what's in the word without all the other fluff. So the way I read these two verses, if I'm reading those correctly, when I forgive others, God forgives me. This is something we don't hear about all that often. But if you withhold forgiveness, it says there very clearly from others. Like if you hold back in forgiving others, God is going to hold back forgiving you. So sometimes we enjoy that pity party that lasts for a little bit of, oh, she shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. Oh, they hurt me. I can't believe. But you better not stay there as a believer. Because God in that moment is withholding forgiveness from you. This is the whole, this is the truth of the word of God here for us. And it refers back to something that was repeated all throughout Christ's ministry. I referenced it in last week's message as well that Jesus makes it clear that God's forgiveness is conditional. I didn't say it wasn't free it's free but according to what jesus just said here and what he says throughout his word his ministry on the earth that the condition is that we forgive others read some of the parables about forgiving the debt of one and then the other coming back and being like i can't believe you owe me this much and jesus saying what he says about the punishment that's going to come to the unforgiving one This is really important because I I feel like it's not just a message for my life that I've experienced myself. I've experienced the temptation towards bitterness and towards unforgiveness and all of those things. But I'm telling you, as I read the scripture, I understand that I, as I forgive others, God pours out forgiveness on me. And y'all, don't you need that? We all need that. So we said last week, and I'll say it this week. I might say it again next week. Forgive today. You already thought about them just in this moment. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't put it out of your mind. Oh, he's not talking about that. Let me forget about that. Let me take these notes. Let me remember what he, the Holy Spirit wants to speak through the words that are prepared in my heart for you. He told you last week, forgive that day. And if you didn't, you got a fresh chance today. Amen. Forgive tomorrow. Why do I have to forgive tomorrow? Because people are stupid. Sorry. Can I get an amen? People are stupid. But you know what? There are people listening to this message elsewhere that know you. And they're saying amen, too. Yes, we're all stupid. That's why we've got to forgive. Forgive tomorrow when someone mistreats you. Forgive tomorrow when they do something underhanded and it deals with your job or maybe with a financial investment or something else. Forgive them. Now, that's a process and it's not so easy to just say, oh, I forgive them. Oh, I'm all better now. It's a process that takes time. I've shared with you before, but I will never stop sharing the story of Hawaii. I still forgive to this day when I see a certain make and model truck. Because a man who drove that same make and model truck is the one who hurt me. I mean hurt my family, my children, and a lot of stuff. And I still today... Every time I see one, I'm reminded because the enemy, I know we, you know, have the cartoon of the little devil on the shoulder, the angel on the other. Uh, the devil is me. Okay. <laughs> and I'm reminded when I see that truck, I remember that gut wrenching feeling of him coming into the parking lot at the church. I remember those drawn out meetings, being accused of stuff I didn't do. I remember those feelings and they rise right back up to the top. Here we are. Come take us. And I say, Lord, bless him today. Bless his wife today. I pray that prayer. God help that to never happen to another person in ministry in that church. God, I pray blessings on them and that group. In fact, I just got a message. Um, I forgot to share it with my wife. This past week, the church in Hawaii just celebrated their 70th year anniversary, and they set up pictures on the wall of all their pastors. And the picture that the pastor currently sent to me was our picture on the wall in the history of the church. And I thought, my God, who did they have to shoot to get our picture up there? Because it was a bad situation, y'all. Okay, but listen, forgived often. You've got to keep forgiving. You ever known a bitter person? Not good. I want to give you some practical instructions on prayer before we finish today. It's four quick things. The first one is this, pray every day. So if you haven't started, start today. If the, the last couple messages in the series, you haven't really been energized to pray, start today. And if you say, pastor, I don't know about the whole, like, am I supposed to do like 30 minutes in prayer? No, start with five minutes. And if you say, pastor, I got that five minutes down, then add five minutes to it this week. Every day, put 10 minutes in prayer. And close off all the distractions and set aside some time to hear from God. If you say, Pastor, I've been doing great. You know, I'm usually about 10 minutes in prayer, 10, 15 minutes of reading, and then I go on with my day. Well, then try to add five more to that and make it 20 minutes in prayer. Do what you can to invest in your relationship. Amen? Because it's on you. He's already invested in you. And the truth is you and I don't pray as often as we should. And we don't spend enough time in prayer when we do. That's true of me. And it's most likely true of you. You can even pray on Sundays and not in church and not just over your meal. (laughs) Number two is this, use a list, use a list, whether it's analog with a pencil and a paper and a journal, or whether it's a digital list I can show you my list in my phone. It's in my notes app, my prayer list of missionaries and friends I'm in contact with, needs that people have, that things come up. I pray for my wife and my kids. I pray for you, my church. I pray for my friends. I pray for my boss. I pray for my employees. I pray for those things. It'll help you maintain your focus when you pray because you can tick them off the list. You can check mark and go down the list and help yourself to know that you prayed for the important things. It'll keep you from letting your mind wander. If you want to pray prayers that are effective, you've got to be disciplined when you pray. You say, well, that sounds like a bunch of religion, pastor. You're telling me I'm going to cross them off my list? And yes, and write a new list tomorrow. And cross them off the list too. And keep going. Continue to use a list. Number three is prioritize prayer. Life gets in the way of prayer, doesn't it? <laughs> this is all fine and dandy. It sounds great. But here's the deal. Beat life to the punch. If, if life gets in the way of prayer, then you've got to set aside a time every day to pray. In ancient Judaism, they prayed three times a day. First thing in the morning, they prayed during the noon hour or high noon. And they also prayed at 3 p.m., what we would have now as 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They prayed religiously those three times. They even had prayers, canned prayers that they prayed that come out of scripture during those times. There's nothing wrong with that. They were more disciplined than you and I are, maybe, because they had that repetition in their life. So build that system of priority. And as I said already, many American Christians don't even pray once a day outside of a meal. But God wants to hear from you. And like I said, more significantly, he wants you to hear from him in that time. For me, it used to be really early in the morning, but life is different these days. So my... my Prayer time is the 20 to 25 minute commute that I have to work on the daily basis. I'm playing worship music. I'm not listening to, you know, the news. I'm not listening to the radio. I actually just have a playlist because I don't want commercials and all that stuff. And it's just my time in the car with God. It helps prepare me for the day. In fact, I think I probably walk into work with a smile on because I've had time with Jesus. Prioritize it. And maybe you're not. How many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. A few of you. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you hate the mornings? Okay, a lot more. a lot more. So listen, you don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to pray. I had this college roommate, uh, well, downstairs neighbor uh, roommate, if you will, in the room downstairs from us, and we'd go to the gym together, and he'd say, okay, we're going to the gym tomorrow at 6 a.m., and I'm going to be up praying at 5 30. Well, I'd go into, like, he'd have his door unlocked, and I'd go into the, the living room there in the living space, and he'd be on his knees asleep, like slumped over in the chair every single morning. I think he'd probably, had a few minutes with God before he fell asleep. So he wasn't a morning person. That's the point. So pray, but make time to pray. If you're not a morning person, but you watch Netflix every night. Well, number four, pray specifically. Watch it. Don't make me uncomfortable, pastor. I want to keep doing my life the way I want. No, you can't. If you want God to move, if you want him to move, you've got to do something different than what you're doing right now. That's a word for somebody. I'm going to read to you First John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The fourth point is this. Pray specifically. And the worship team can come and join me. First John 5, verses 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is so important. You should pray specifically. There's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, bless this day and bless these people. But if I'm a believer for a longer period of time than just a few days, I should be a little bit more involved in my conversation. The first reason to pray specifically is because it's the most natural way to pray. There are weird people in the world who might do this next thing, but I'm not one of them. You don't go into a restaurant and just go, hey, give me whatever they got in the kitchen. I know what I want to eat. I've studied this menu. I looked at it online before I even got there. I have made my choice and I am, I am determined. And then I'm disappointed if they're like, oh, we're out of that today. Ugh. But praying specifically is the natural way to pray. So think about that. When we pray specifically, we're telling God exactly what we need and exactly what we want. The second thing about praying specifically is it teaches us to know our own needs so that we can trust God for the answers to those needs. Because it helps me be more self-aware of those needs. If you believe that God is really God, then you must believe that he knows your need before you prayed for it, but he still wants to hear you. See, prayer is not necessarily for God's sake. I think that's a little bit of a flip that we need to make in our mentality. Prayer is for my sake. See, if I'm praying for my enemies that despitefully use me, then I'm less likely to be easily offended by the next enemy that despitefully... Are you getting that? If I'm praying for that issue that I'm facing, then I'm more self-aware of it and I, I know that God can handle it and I'm telling myself almost in a certain way that God is good and he's going to answer The third reason why we pray specifically is because it's the only kind of prayer that expresses faith and receives answers. I think general prayers are lazy prayers. And I don't know if that offends you, but I think that's the truth. And I think they demonstrate immaturity. So that's why I say I encourage you to pray specifically. In fact, in another place in scripture, Jesus says, You don't receive for what you ask because you're asking all over the place. That's today's translation. Because you ask amiss. Pray specifically so that you can trust God and hear a specific answer. My daughter, she's 10 years old, beautiful soul that she has. She prayed and prayed and prayed from January to about May, almost every single night in our nightly prayers. Lord, give us a house. Jesus, please, I'm gonna kill my sister if you don't give me my own room. Like God, please help me. Like there was some real sincerity to her prayer and she prayed specifically. She didn't pray for an address and all those things, but she did pray for a great backyard, fenced in and for separate bedrooms. And she feels in May, she felt like God spoke to her and she said, Daddy, I feel like God told me we're going to have a house before the end of this year. And I just kind of smiled and thought, how in the world are we going to do this? God answered that specific prayer for my kid. He's a good God who loves you and he wants to hear from you. So when you pray, pray specifically because when you do, you're expressing faith. I don't pray for somebody who's sick and say, well, if it's your will to take them and if it's your will to heal them and if it's your... No, I pray what I desire. Lord, raise them up out of that bed and heal them. I believe healing's in your will for this person. Now, if God chooses some other path, that's okay, but I've prayed specifically what I believe and I want him to do. So we've got to pray in faith and according to his will and wait for the answer. And in his perfect time, will receive the answer. And the last thing is this, and you can stand. When I pray specifically, it helps me to have the hope that I need for the answer. Those who have faith to believe God also have hope that he will bring the answer. Why are you serving him if you don't have hope that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Yeah. And so when I pray a specific prayer, it helps me to have hope for the answer because then my daughter, she's still, we we're months into a house. We moved in the end of July into a beautiful house and she still is walking on cloud nine. She's unstoppable. She's like, now I'm gonna pray and God's gonna. That's childlike faith. It was built up in a simple answer to a specific prayer. I want you to pray more this week. Not because I'm trying to be legalistic or tell you you don't pray enough according to my standard. I'm telling you prayer is spending time with God. So carve out some time this week more than you have in the times past.